It's August 15th, 2018. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum, and of course, uh, first, we'll hear from Dundar Kukagla from Portland State University. He's going to tell us about the upcoming PICMET conference called Managing Technology Entrepreneurship, the Engine for Economic Growth. Then we'll learn about small cell technology and 5G with Mindy Hartstein from Hawaiian, uh, Hawaiian Electric Company. And, of course, Dan Schweitzer from Crown Castle. But first, we want to welcome Dundar from Portland State University. He's here to tell us about this conference that he's organizing. And it's kind of an interesting thing. It's called Portland International Center for Management of Engineering and Technology. Dundar, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Bert. <laughs> and so tell me a little history about this, uh, this conference because it's been pretty much an international conference, right? It is. Not pretty much. It is an international conference. I started the centers when I moved from University of Pittsburgh to Portland State University about 30 years ago. I started it because I wanted to have that I was in uh, the university as a professor mm -hmm. and starting a new department in a new field in engineering management, which barely existed. Now it's grown since then quite a bit worldwide. But uh, I wanted to make sure that we would have a center to encourage people to do research, implementation, and uh, uh, teaching in this new area so the area could grow worldwide. I started the center and uh, wanted to have a conference, one-time conference. The, this was in 1989. 1991 was that one-time conference. People came from many countries. They were so motivated that they started asking me when the next one will be. I hadn't planned it. I went to my board of advisors, board of directors, actually. They said, okay, let's do it every other year. So we started to do it every other year. Then that wasn't enough because our colleagues from uh, around the world said, wait a minute, now you're doing it every other year. We know that it's important, that's fine, but uh, the off years, why don't you come to us? Then we decided we would do it. So we took it to Korea, South Africa, uh, Thailand, uh, Japan, Turkey, many, many countries. Mm -hmm. uh, we're doing, this is actually our international year. It's off Portland. I figured Hawaii is not international. Hawaii is as American as anything. But it's kind of... Exotic. It's very exotic. <laughs> and it, it, it's... Uh, uh, between uh, Asia and uh, uh, almost midpoint uh, uh, the U.S. So it's, it goes for the international year. And I'm glad that we decided. This is the second time we're doing it. You know, some of the uh, keynotes were, were very intriguing because I like the idea of this, you know, this sort of technology and entrepreneurship. And, of course, Hawaii is very active in this startup community, entrepreneurship, you know, just trying to bring innovation into the, the, the tech sector and all the other sectors. But tell me, what sort of uh, focus do you have in terms of entrepreneurship and technology? Well, we have uh, always, it's been our policy in PICMET to have the theme of the conference in an area that uh, we see uh, has a potential to grow significantly mm -hmm that we can focus on this and we can bring the attention of the people around the world. For this conference, for example, we received 651 papers from 
about 40 countries. The papers went through evaluation. Uh, we, we use about 130 people around the world to evaluate them. And there will be approximately 40% of them included in the conference. They are focusing on technological entrepreneurship, risk-taking, managing the risks, managing the uh, steps for new technologies, existing technologies. Technology is here, and technology is going to grow. But to manage that is a critical part because I always say that if we don't manage technology, technology manages us, we become slaves to it. Uh, so our objective is to make sure that we can f bring the focus on this. A state like Hawaii, for example, it's such an opportunity for Hawaii to encourage people to be entrepreneurs. And s tourism is a good industry, but by itself is not enough. It has to have, whether we like it or not, technology is here. It has to have push in technological area, and you have many, many risk takers here, many, many entrepreneurs here, that their effort in getting new technologies or bringing different technologies together, whether it's manufacturing, but more important than that, fundamentally, creating new technology, we hope that it will, it will create the conference, uh, which will have about 300 or so people mm -hmm. from 40 countries, uh, will have an impact to encourage our uh, colleagues, friends in industry, academia, and government to have that focus for the uh, bright future of the state and the country. So do you, um, uh, real quickly in the last couple of minutes we have, do you have uh, participation by the University of uh, Hawaii? We do have uh, uh, both from University of Hawaii and also from uh, uh, Hawaii Pacific University. Oh, okay. In fact, a colleague from Hawaii Pacific University is uh, an associate editor of our publication. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a local arrangements committee here that I came several times to meet with them uh, from uh, local IEEE, Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. They have been very helpful. So I do want to have as much participation local colleagues as possible. So real quick, where and when is this conference, take, conference taking place? It's going to start on 19th of August, Sunday, and it will go through Thursday the 23rd. It will be in Marriott, Waikiki Beach Resort and Spa. And anybody wants to check out uh, more information about it, where can they go? Sure. Our website is www.pigmet, P-I-C-M-E-T. Org. Very good. I'll put that up on the show notes. Thanks, Dundar, for joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. And, of course, I'll see you probably on Tuesday. Yes, you're going to be there in our uh, uh, awards banquet to welcome people on be behalf of the governor. And, of course, Hawaii. we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Mindy Hartstein and Dan Schweitzer. And we'll talk about small cell technology. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. 
I think This American Life is by far my favorite program. Almost every time I hear it, I'm emotionally hooked on a deep level, and it helps me appreciate people's stories and helps me actually listen for other people's stories. We often get wrapped up in our own world and we stop listening, and This American Life kind of helps me stop and listen. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us in the studio is Mindy, Mindy Hartstein and Dan Schweitzer. Mindy is the manager, soon to be director, I guess you're getting a promotion, no. of Pole Infrastructure Enterprise over at Hawaiian Electric Industries. And Dan is the director of government relations over at Crown Castle, headquartered in uh, Irvine, California. And what does small cell technology entail and what promise does it hold for our next generation, our next generation of 5G wireless t- uh, communications? I want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks. Great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> I think um, uh, I kind of wanted to basically not only introduce you as, uh, you know, part of the sort of the, the infrastructure activity that's going on with small cell, but maybe first we'll start with what is really happening in terms of the migration from 4G to this new sort of 5G. And I don't know, maybe, Dan, maybe you can start off by giving us a little sense of, you know, what is happening with this migration in in wireless technologies? Yeah, what we're seeing, Bert, uh, is is the, as you you put it, the migration from 4G to 5G, whereas the the, the steps leading from 1, 2, 3, G up to 4G mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. sort of an evolutionary process. Or, or We're thinking of this as a revolutionary because it's going to be so different. Uh, whereas 1G was, was pr- primarily you know, analog voice, 2G we had some digital voice and some text messaging capability. 3G was about mobile data. And then 4G was really mobile internet. And a lot of that was from mm-hmm. the 2007 when the iPhone mm-hmm. was introduced right. and the smartphone explosion. And 5G is just evolutionary different because it's, the, uh, it's so much faster. It's got so much more capacity and there's a lot less latency. And it's going to enable all of these devices and, and accomplish, uh, connect all these devices, billions of devices uh, for the Internet of Things and, and really change the way that people communicate and live. Now, you know, uh, I, I think uh, people probably don't know too much about Crown Castle, and both of you are more the infrastructure side. So, Dan, what is it that Crown Castle actually does? As you indicate, Crown Castle is the infrastructure provider. We're actually the, the, the largest shared wireless infrastructure provider in the country. Uh, and what that means is we've got currently 40,000 cell towers, 60,000 small cells on air under development, and 60,000 route miles of fiber. And we, we are a neutral host. We can uh, – all of the carriers are our customers as core customers. But now, especially with 5G and increasingly, we're seeing a lot different types of customers that aren't your traditional cell phone carriers. Mm-hmm. Now, Mindy, you know, we've seen each other at the Capitol and we've been talking about infrastructure. And people are probably wondering, what is Hawaiian Electric doing on a show talking about small cell? Mindy, I mean, what, what – uh, what infrastructure element are you basically involved in? So I, we look at it as the foundational infrastructure mm-hmm. element in that we're not fiber such as crown, but we're the pole that pulls together the fiber that a crown puts up. So in order to attach overhead, um, they need ready-made infrastructure, distribution poles that Hawaiian Electric, Maui Electric, and Hawaiian Electric Light um, have are perfect ready-made examples. 
as well as obviously street lights, which we have in uh, Maui Electric. Um, and of course, city and county and state have here on Oahu and on the Big Island. So typically, uh, you know, we think of, of companies like Hawaiian Electric and Hawaiian Tel. Uh, there's poles, there's light poles. In fact, there was a bill that was, you know, in the uh, session, this past uh, legislative session, I think it was HB 2651, which really talked about permitting and how companies would go about approaching the government and and start to look at how do they deploy some of this uh, small cell technology. But for Hawaiian Electric, I mean, you're a private company, but you still are subject to permitting and or at least getting a handle on people requesting access to the uh, to the polls. Right. We still work on access. And one of the things that we've been focusing on and developing what we call the poll infrastructure mm-hmm. enterprise, which started out in October um, as we move with trying to get uh, to move from a joint poll ownership to the Hawaiian Electric Company having sole ownership of, of polls, was to develop a streamlined process. So no matter which company of Hawaiian Electric that you went to, mm-hmm. it is the same process and integrated Um, so that we could make it cheaper, faster, more efficient, and expedient to allow 5G to deploy as quickly as possible. What we see is the new technology and infrastructure almost going hand-in-hand with our mission and strategic vision, um, which is a high priority for the company in building smart, uh, resilient, sustainable communities. And in fact, our grid modernization and um, when we talk about the PPV or solar and renewable energy, it all ties into needing information from these systems as quickly as possible. So not only are we providing a foundation, but in turn, we're also a user of that product as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Dan, you know, when we talk about small cell, what is that really referring to? What is that? Was it? Small cell versus big cell. I mean, what what are we what are we now looking at in terms of the actual deployment of the antennas? Yeah, I, small cell in in relation to what we would call macro towers, right? The macro sites, the the towers that everyone's accustomed to seeing, would be you know a, a larger, obviously a larger, uh, like some of those uh, imitation trees that we see, right. uh, you know, somewhere along the freeway or yeah, along the. Those you know. bring a tear to my eye. They're so beautiful. It's one <laughs> yeah, of my right, favorite things. Right. Right. Uh, Small cell, as the name indicates, it's small in size. The form factor is small, small powered, uh, and it's going to have a much smaller footprint. It's it, so you're going to need more of them. And, and just to kind of dovetail on what you were talking about with Mindy, you know, in, uh, utilities are as instrumental to the success of 5G deployment as the jurisdictions, as the federal government, or as the carriers, because they have so many poles existing. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about the numbers that are going to need to be deployed, right, we're we're seeing anywhere from 300,000 small cells over the next three years up to a million plus over the next 10. When you say a million, are you talking about a million in, in Hawaii? No, or, not in oh, Hawaii. Oh, okay, okay. So just <laughs> let, me get, just let me understand. You know, where is this million? Across the North America? Across the country. Okay, okay. You know, estimates, right? Uh-huh. Um, nobody wants to see... You know, Honolulu certainly or Hawaii certainly doesn't want to see 50,000 new poles with small cells when there's perfectly good poles that we can attach to that are already existing. So there's a really good relationship there. It's an ideal uh, fit and, and solution to minimize, uh, you know, pr- to preserve the aesthetic beauty of any community that we're in. Mm-hmm. The idea is that these are unobtrusive and they blend in with the landscape. They belong in the right-of-way, which is where we deploy them. And it looks like any other piece of equipment, like a transformer from HECO. Uh, like any other piece of equipment, you see a small cell, which could be anywhere from the size of a small toaster uh, you know, to you know, uh, I don't know, seven or 
even larger cubic feet, um, but but definitely smaller than what you would see mm-hmm. traditionally. And then and then you've got maybe a two foot antenna that sits on top of the pole. Mm-hmm. And I think it also goes hand in hand with the evolution of the network, as you say. It started out as what was called one C, and then it went to two, and so. Uh, what happened was your macro cells provided these larger, anywhere from four to eight foot antennas, usually about nine or 12, you'd see, as you point out, in a tree or on a pole. The technology now is that they need, because of the demand of the tablets and the data, smaller focused um, areas of concentration to handle that data, which then offloads those larger facilities for still providing coverage on the road and areas not um, so smallly covered so by the typi- small cell. You know, typically the 4G, uh, let's say, macro towers, I mean, they were distributed perhaps, what, maybe a mile apart, or, you know, they least. were probably measured in miles, whereas in terms of the small cell technology, they're much closer to each other. What would be the distance between, let's say, small cell A and small cell B? It could be a few hundred feet, mm-hmm. and it's for a couple of reasons. As Mindy indicates, it's the it's the usage and the congestion, uh, the amount of traffic they're carrying, and it's the way the technology is being deployed in the upper range of the spectrum. Uh, the you know you're carrying a lot more traffic, but it doesn't travel as far, and so you're going to need to get the 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 signal closer to the user. Think of it like a, a home router in your. Uh, in your Wi-Fi for your home office, mm-hmm. uh, you can't. You're not necessarily going to use your neighbors, and it may not work as well in the garage as it works in the office. It's it's that type of thing. So you're going to really expect to see these uh, uh, on every street corner. And the equipment that you're installing now, I mean, it's sort of pre five G. Is that is that correct? I think as far as the equipment, the boxes themselves, perhaps what we know, future needs fiber mm-hmm. and antennas and power. And that's where partners like you know, HECO come in, and it's the same ingredients. It's going to look just a little bit different. Now, in terms of the, the, the I guess, the promise of 5G and the speeds that are going to be available, it's, a, it's, it's you know, many orders of magnitude greater than what's available on 4G. That, that's correct, Bert. I mean, it, it is a significant difference. It almost becomes like real time, and that's why when we talk about uh, things coming off our distribution grid or power, um, as well as what we're getting from the solar, mm-hmm. constantly trying to monitor that and level that off those loads, you need real-time, real-world action. And so right now, we don't have that, um, but the 5G is certainly the ability to do that. You know, I, I do kind of want to talk a little bit about the applications that would now be enabled as a result of 5G. What we want to do, though, is hold that thought <laughs> because we'll be right back after the short break to continue our conversation with Minnie Hartstein and Dan Schweitzer. And we're talking about 5G, small cell technology, and what it uh, holds for our future in terms of wireless communications. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And of course, if you're just joining us, we're talking to Mindy Hartstein from Hawaiian Electric Industries and Dan Schweitzer from Crown Castle about 5G and small cell technology. And of course, uh, you might not think, uh, you know, they're not the Verizons, they're not the AT&Ts and Sprints, and, you know, the, but the, they're all definitely involved with deployment of 
infrastructure that's going to be key to you know making uh, 5G available. Of course, right before the break, we were sort of getting into the idea of uh, what 5G really enables in terms of not only greater bandwidth, but lower latency. And the latency, is, from what I understand, is somewhere along the line of you know, one millisecond to, to five milliseconds maybe. But then, I mean, what do you see as some of the applications that would now be enabled with the bigger, you know, higher bandwidth and low latency? Well, I think the one that comes to mind, particularly with latency, is autonomous vehicles. And I think for reasons that should seem intuitive, you can't have a delayed signal mm-hmm. to a car that's being driven, <laughs> you know, automated. It's got to have real-time information. It's got to be able to react quickly and, and transmit that that information quickly. So, uh, you know, the the promise of, of um, you know, autonomous vehicles is huge. And you talk about from a life, lifestyle perspective and, we you know, you talk about differences to communities. Mobility is – aside from housing costs, is usually the second largest expense that somebody has, is your car. And increasingly, you know, what we expect to see is, especially with millennials and people that aren't as keen on owning cars as we once were, they're using ride share apps like Uber and Lyft or smart cars or car to go. Uh, so, you know, it's becoming a big part of their lives. And, and I could definitely see a future where autonomous vehicles uh, are playing a big role in that. And, and low latency is absolutely critical uh, for an, for an application like that, mm-hmm. and uh, Mindy, you know, in terms of the deployment of of small cell, I mean, obviously you're doing a lot of activity on Oahu, but neighbor islands as well. And how does this play into rural access? Well, we tie it in through the the rural access again. I think it's mostly coming right now from the carriers and the actual. Uh, fiber infrastructure providers. Mm -hmm. What we're doing is um, obviously trying to streamline and expedite these requests. Mm -hmm. So uh, recently we had a new neighborhood over in Maui, um, again, working to facilitate to get this deployed as quickly as possible. And I think what's interesting about, and I don't think people uh, appreciate the kind of data management that is required to get a handle on all the infrastructure that's out there. And I think one of the challenges that the government has, and, and especially with the requests that are coming into the city and county, is how do they manage all the requests, let alone manage all the polls that they might have, right? And so how right. are you and, and we also are getting new information because we did not manage the communication space uh, previously on the polls, but if the uh, Public Utilities Commission approves the application that's pending before them with Hawaiian Telecom and Hawaiian Electric, uh, we basically would inherit uh, 450,000 attachments Mm -hmm. um, that, again, depending on the tracking system, uh, we may not be getting all the information that we need as well. So we have uh, contracted with someone uh, to work with us on a new database. Uh, We will have that out in September. What's nice about that is it's an online application portal. It's very open to be able to see the communication going back and forth. Um, We think that'll streamline again and and improve the system uh, from what we currently have, which is a lot more uh, manual-related and emails. These things are now automated um, and allows us to have a very good project management tool. Mm -hmm. And because we are out there and, and visiting all of the sites uh, we're continuing to get better data on the polls that are out there. Um, and again, uh, I'd like to say working with uh, and collaborating with all of the carriers and uh, different agents, uh, we actually are developing a very strong plan moving forward. And then, you know, in terms of uh, now 5G isn't here yet. So there's still, 
you know, specifications that need to be finalized. Uh, when do you see that happening? And, and when it does happen, is 4G and 5G going to coexist? So that's my understanding. And I think like you or like like me, you've probably read about 5G trials. I think there was some successful 5G trials at the last Olympics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some communities are further ahead than others. And they're, they're ongoing. I would expect it to... Uh, pretty soon. I, I, I don't know exactly when you could expect to see 5G rolled out in mass, but I, within a couple of years, I think you can. there's going to be an increased activity around it. Now, given that you're both involved with the infrastructure, uh, maybe Mindy, you, you probably have a good idea. Is, is, this a, is there a gold rush happening now? Are people knocking on your door like, <laughs> like Ground Castle saying, you know, I need to get access to X number of, of utility poles. I mean, what's it like in terms of the uh, receiving of the requests that are coming into Hawaiian Electric? So I think that they've been waiting a little bit of a while mm-hmm. uh, to get in through the door because, again, we have to have agreements with everybody. Uh, we've been working very diligently on that, and we feel pretty confident that by the end of the year, the, with PUC approval, we'll be ready to run. In the interim, though, what we have worked out together is to take in their applications and bring it all the way through up until construction because you can't construct until such time as we have the agreements. But we are working together. We're doing design walks right now. Um, and I would say that uh, we're moving forward with that. The and volume is, is going to keep increasing, though, Bert. It's not going to come down. And as people see the timeline narrowing and things going into effect, we believe we'll see more and more applications coming and then, in. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, I know the legislation that was passed by the, the state, but this is also governed by the FCC. Correct. Right. So you're under uh, sort of an obligation to adhere to their rules. Yes. So we adhere to uh, all of the rules there. We are able to work out certain um, conditions or agreements based off of specific needs of Hawaii, but timelines for when things need to be decided on, uh, the rates that are paid for pole attachment, um, and even just allowing the use of the poles Mm -hmm. for attachment, all governed by the Federal Communications Commission. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then... um, uh, Dan, you know, in terms of um, uh, the, I guess the, you know, once all the carriers start to offer 5G, how do you see the landscape changing? I mean, will we see new players? Will we see new offerings? What do you think is going to happen in terms of, you know, now that 5G is available, you know, things like fixed wireless? I mean, what, how do you see that changing? I, I think you are going to see entrance into the market that, that you know, we previously didn't know existed, didn't exist, or that we didn't think we're going to participate in the wireless space. We're already seeing, for example, Crown Castle, we're, we're working on edge computing. Mm-hmm. So we've mm-hmm. signed a company or we've signed an agreement uh, with a deal uh, with a company called Vapor.io. And we have many, you know, the, the idea is to have servers at the edge. So data is being stored near the user instead of being transmitted hundreds of thousands of miles to be accessed. Um, that's just one example. Um, as I indicated, there's going to be billions of devices accessing the infrastructure. And it, it's so critical what, what Minnie was talking about because this was a network that was designed to serve the 1, 2G voice data transmission and now – or you know, voice and, and you know, light data transmission. And now you're going to have billions of devices. You're going to have hundreds of millions of people – with smartphones accessing a, a system that wasn't designed for that. We have to build the infrastructure. So real quick, I mean, is there any place you would suggest people can go to to find out the latest status? 
Uh, yeah, go to uh, www.crowncastle.com and go to the community's webpage, and you can find out a lot of information. I'll put that up on our show notes later on tonight. Mindy Harstein is from Hawaiian Electric Industries, and Dan Schweitzer is with Crown Castle. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And, of course, uh, I want to thank you for listening to Bite Mars Cafe. Join us next week when we'll talk to MasterCard about the future of payment systems. If you miss any part of this, this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And, of course, our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us on HPR1 every Wednesday or anytime on the HPR app. You stay awesome, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. You may we